Payments is an industry that has an incredibly wide moat. Throughout my career, I've, I've evolved with payments technology. The world of financial services are you know, changing quite quickly. I always knew I was going to start my own company. Welcome to InCheck with FinTech. Welcome everyone to a new episode of InCheck with FinTech organized by PCN. My name is Rogier Roepen van der Voort and on this show we interview people from the fintech space to talk about hot topics, developments as well as companies. Um, this week we'll take a small sidestep out of fintech to talk to Dr. Eric Cole who's a former CIA hacker, cybersecurity commissioner to the Obama administration and advisor to clients including the Obama family, Bill and Melinda Gates, Lockheed Martin and McAfee. So without further ado, Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me and pleasure to be here. Likewise. So you are a former CIA hacker. Talk me through how do you become a CIA hacker? You got to be at the right place at the right time. So, <laughs> sure. uh, so, so I, uh, during college, I was majoring in computer science and I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. So I went down to the co-op office and turned out the next day the CIA was recruiting on campus. So I uh, went in, interviewed with them, became a co-op, then they hired me full time. And I was in an all hands meeting with several thousand people and they were talking about, remember this was back in the 90s. So they're talking about this new thing called the internet and that they're putting systems out on the internet. So I was, you could say young and dumb and didn't know any better. So I raised my hand, which you weren't supposed to do. And I asked a question and it was a simple question that changed my life. And that question was, how do we know these systems are secure? If we're putting systems on this new thing called the internet, how do we know they're safe or protected? So what I didn't realize is in the government, when you ask a question that nobody knows the answer to, you're volunteering to solve it. So they said, okay, Eric, go for it. And I figured there'd be some mathematical proofs and textbooks on how to verify and validate security. So I went off on this mission and realized the only way to prove a system is secure is by breaking in. The only way to prove a system is secure by looking for vulnerabilities or exposures. So that basically took me on the road of being a professional hacker for eight years, where my goal was really to find, understand, and exploit vulnerabilities so we can use them to improve and make systems better and more secure and more robust. Love that. So you, since the 90s, you've obviously seen the internet develop, if you will, uh, into something that is now used by, uh, well, almost 7 billion people across the world. Um, in the meantime, you've moved on from being a CIA hacker to um, now having your own company. Is that right? Yeah, so after working for the government, uh, I realized two things. One, offense is easy. You can always get in now. Nothing wrong if, if if anyone's out there and they're a professional pen tester, good on you. But to me, I get bored very, very easily. And I'm like, okay, I could basically get into any system. So I switched to defense, which I think is more challenging and creative. And then the second thing I learned working at the government is I don't like working for a bureaucracy and having a boss. So I realized I'm one of those rare breeds of a technical person that also has that entrepreneurial gene. So I started building and selling companies and I'm on my fourth one right now with Secure Anchor. So that's great. What do, you, what do you advise your clients on? I assume it's cybersecurity, but can you talk a bit more to as much detail as you can, of course, what, what kind of advice do you do? 
So there's uh, three business areas in Secure Anchor. The first one is we provide expert witness support in high profile cases. So if there's lawsuits, whether it's a big breach occurred and somebody's determining who was liable or infringement of intellectual property like patents, we will get involved because you'll see the underlying theme. I love teaching and explaining complex topics in simple, understandable terms. So with expert witness, I'm taking very, very complex, detailed technology such as a patent and I'm going in front of a 75-year-old judge and a jury that's not technical, and I have to explain these very complex methods and, and uh, systems in very easy-to-understand terms. So that's uh, one area. The second one is I think one of the big problems we have in cybersecurity today is a chief information security officer known as a CISO is a technical position, and it shouldn't be. It's a strategic position that needs to understand the business and enable cybersecurity to make the business successful. So I also teach and train CISOs on how to effectively take complex cybersecurity and translate it to business language so executives can make the proper decision and understand what's happening and what's occurring. And then the third area are security assessment, security roadmaps, where once again, we'll go into an organization, understand their business, understand their budget and resources, and create an actual security roadmap that aligns with the business and organization that can actually be implemented based on the resources that they have. That's very interesting. So if you talk about the, or I'm sure you see a whole lot of organizations, and I'm sure over the years, you've seen a whole lot of organizations that are generally I guess you're trying to protect them from cyber criminals. Is that fair to say? Or you help them at least to protect against cyber criminals? Yes, a ve very close. The way I sort of define cybersecurity is it's we help organizations get better visibility and awareness so they can detect, respond, and react to attacks in a timely manner, minimizing overall damage to the organization. All right. So, it, so it's a lot about, like you said, defense, right? But I guess in order to be good at defense, you have to understand the offense. Is that fair to say? Exactly. So what we're really dealing with is risk, managing risks. So when you look at cybersecurity, there's three components. Cybersecurity is about understanding, managing, and mitigating the risk of critical data being disclosed, altered, or denied access. So you have a risk component, a data component, and then the confidentiality, integrity, availability component. So those are the three things we're looking at. So we're going into organizations, helping them understand the risk, the risk posture, and implement effective solutions. And one of my big mottos is prevention is ideal, but detection is a must because whenever you're adding functionality, and this is the law of cyber, just like the law of gravity, the law of cyber always says whenever you add functionality, you're decreasing security. Whenever you add functionality, you're increasing the overall risk. So we need to recognize that any business that's functional and has computers and allows email and web surfing will never, ever, ever be 100% secure. It's, uh, it's impossible with the laws that are out there. So we try to prevent the attacks we can but recognizing because of that, you'll have to do a better job at detection and controlling the damage. Can you give some examples of how you've seen in these cyber attacks impact businesses? So, so the, the biggest impact we're seeing right now is really financially driven. 
over the last several months. And I predicted this was happening in my book, Cyber Crisis, that we would be in a cyber crisis by mid-2021, which we are. And we're seeing a lot more commercialization of cyber criminal activity. So the folks committing these cyber crimes, they're companies. They have marketing departments where they do research of potential targets. They have tech support. They have uh, revenue generation. They have employees. They have benefits, all the things of a normal company, except they're committing criminal activity. So we're seeing a lot of ransomware where organizations aren't protecting, controlling their data or their backups. So somebody comes in, breaks into their information, encrypts it. And unless you pay the ransom, you're not getting your data back. And the unfortunate reality is if your systems are vulnerable and you get hit with ransomware, the only feasible way to recover, which I don't like and I prefer not to recommend, but the only feasible way to really recover is by paying that ransom, which puts companies in a hard spot. And right now we're seeing a transition where companies are backing up and securing their information. So if you get hit with ransomware, you don't have to pay the ransom because you can recover from backup. So we're seeing the attackers stick to extortion, sorry, switch to extortion, where now they're going in and saying, great, even if you can recover your information, if you don't pay us a certain amount of money, we're going to take all of your customer and private records and publicly disclose it and embarrass you. It's very interesting. Let's just zoom in a little bit on those, uh, what you said about the, the, the companies. It sounds like they have a very professional setup, basically, but they are not necessarily legit or non-criminal, um, let's say. How do they operate? They operate on the dark web or how does that work? So, uh, yeah, the, the dark web is basically the communication and trading platform. Uh, so older style attacks were much more dark web reliable because if you go in like uh, the Marriott breach where you're stealing data, the attacker doesn't get any visible revenue from that. So what I need to do in that case is I'm stealing 500 million records of personally identifiable information. I then need to go to the dark web and sell it. So people down there will buy it to the highest bidder for various reasons and committing various cyber criminal activity. With ransomware, it's a much simpler model. I find an organization or entity that's dependent and reliable on their data or infrastructure. I break in typically to outdated unpatched systems that have vulnerabilities. I plant malicious code that then infects the system and takes control of their data. And then you pay me a ransom or you never get your data back. So in that case, I'm not really stealing or selling. So there's not really a dark web component. I'm just going in and basically holding your information hostage unless you transfer me money via cyber currency such as Bitcoins. We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the FinTech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team, get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals. How has that evolved over time? I mean, you, like you said, you've been around since the 90s in this space. Has it been that uh, financially driven, if you will, over the years? Or has that, has that changed? Were there different motives before? 
That's really changing a lot because it used to be if you go back early 2000 timeframe, a lot of the cyber attacks were really data theft, data driven. So whether it's competitors or foreign adversaries or criminals, it was really about stealing data and information and then either using it for competitive advantages or selling it on the dark web. Now, in the last couple of years, and ransomware has been around for five or six years, the, the, the current version of it, it's been around for 15, but the current version has been about five. The big difference is twofold. One is the ransom payments are being increased. So in the past, they would go after smaller companies and they'd ask for five or $10,000 in ransom. Now they're going after multi-billion dollar companies or critical infrastructure, such as the oil pipeline and asking for five, six, seven, eight million dollars. So the targets they're going after and the amount of money they're asking for is increasing. And then the other big shift that we saw in the last 12 months is they're getting much smarter. And they're saying, wait a second, instead of going after one company, breaking and holding them ransom, and then going after another company, what if we go after supply chain? What if I find a vendor that provides software to 100 companies, and now I break into the vendor, I put malicious code in their software, they update it to these hundreds or thousands of companies, and now I have backdoors into thousands of companies, and now I can go in and launch my attacks much quicker, much faster. So we're now seeing this combination of ransomware attacks tied with supply chain exploitation, which now gives the attackers almost exponential growth and monetary gains by going after a large number of companies very quick and very fast. Wow. So it has definitely professionalized the industry, so to say. Yes, absolutely. And and yeah, I mean, like I said, there's there's playbooks out there. Like if you want to start up a fast food company, there's franchises. It's almost like a franchise business. If you want to start ransomware, they, the only problem is it's against the law and illegal. So you can't ever travel within certain countries. But hey, if you're okay living the rest of your life in Venezuela, you can make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Do, do these... Um... Cyber attacks also come from a certain part of the world, or is it just widespread everywhere? It's really getting very, very widespread. If we go back a couple of years ago, the general rule of thumb is if it was data theft of information, such as trade secrets or proprietary data, that was usually coming from China. If it was monetary attacks like ransomware, it was typically coming from Russia. And if it was destructive style attacks, like taking down or destroying systems, it was usually coming from Iran or North Korea. However, with it's still Russia is a lot, but we're seeing a lot of these other countries saying, wait, there's huge money to be made. And it's basically one of the lowest risk crimes if you're doing it from China, Russia, Iran, because it's not illegal to hack outside the country, and there's no extradition treaties with Europe, United States, or others. So essentially, you can launch these attacks with almost minimal to no risk of any negative uh, version coming against you. That's crazy. Does it mean that um, not just businesses, but also me, for example, as a normal individual or any normal person out there is um, at risk of being attacked? 
th- that's brilliant observation is what I tell everyone is there's two things you must know. You are a target and cybersecurity is your responsibility. The problem we run into is if you or somebody else gets hit with a ransomware attack and you have to pay $1,000 or your bank account gets hit and you get $10,000, which is 50% or 60% of your life savings, that's a huge hit to you. That's a huge impact. The problem is it's not newsworthy. The media doesn't care. Social media, others doesn't care. So you never hear about it. So the problem I have when talking with a lot of people and helping them is they go, Eric, only large, big entities that are billions of dollars in government entities get hit with attacks because that's all they're seeing on the news. When in reality, that's not the reality of what's happening. Small companies, medium companies, individuals, if you have a dollar in your bank account, they'll gladly take it, are being targeted. And that's another one of the reasons why I was looking for a great resource to help people. And I didn't find one. And that's why I wrote my recent book, Cyber Crisis, to really help educate people on what's really happening. What are the dangers? And most importantly, what do you need to do to protect and secure yourself? Berlin, we're here and ready for your hiring needs. After some short time considering it, we've decided to set up business in Germany, meaning we can be closer to clients and allow room for new business. We're set up and ready to help find your ideal candidates, help build teams, and offer up media services. People create networks. Yeah, I mean, it's not only the news, I guess, including myself, you feel so untouchable, right? Who's going to do me? I'm not, what do I have that is of interest to a hacker? But uh, I guess the answer is, uh, as long as you have a dollar in your account or in your back, uh, back pocket, you are a potential target for these guys or girls. Yep. And, right. And here's the way to look at it is I can, if, if I want to make a million dollars, I can break into a large bank and I could steal a million dollars from them. But imagine the security at that bank. It's going to have a lot of security, a lot of monitoring, a lot of controls. So it could happen, but it's probably going to take a lot of effort in multiple years and low probability of success. On the other hand, if I can go in and find a million people that each have a dollar that don't think they're a target, so they have no security, no protection, no controls, and they're still using a password uh, of their last name, to get into their bank account, it's much easier, quicker, and faster for me to break in to a million counts and steal a dollar. Now, dollar, and it could be $10, it could be $100, it could be $1,000, but if that's all the money you have, it could be devastating to you. So that's what people need to recognize is the attackers are going after not the people with the most money, but the people with the lowest amount of security, and they'd rather take small amounts from a large number of people because it's easier, quicker, and faster. Can you, can you make an estimate or, of um, the number of attacks there are, I don't know, each year on just normal individuals? Uh, so so the, the, the latest number is, uh, and this year we're only halfway through this year, but, and, and remember, this is reported cybercrime, so it's very, very low because a lot of people don't detect it or even realize it's happening. But right now we're at almost uh, 92 billion. And that's already exceeded all of the losses from last year. And if you just want to understand the impact, and this is all attacks from $10 to millions of dollars, but essentially 
individual accounts are being broken into compromised once every 11 minutes, sorry, 11 seconds. So uh, on this call, don't make me do the math, but if we do uh, 20 minutes times 60 seconds divided by 11, whatever that number is, probably hundreds of people just during this podcast have already been compromised. That's crazy. I'm sure there are people listening, including myself, wondering, okay, so how do I best protect myself? So what question to you, how do we best protect ourselves against this? <laughs> so, so if we're talking businesses, it, it, it's actually, it sounds bizarre, but it's the most simplest thing on the planet. I, I study and look at all attacks and all compromises. And when you look at most companies that are broken into, it's for a simple reason. They have servers that are accessible from the internet that aren't patched or up to date that contain critical data that's not properly protected. So I kid you not, if you're a business and you follow two simple rules, any server accessible from the internet is always fully patched and any system accessible from the internet never contains critical data, you win. It, it, it's, real, it's real simple, real easy there. On the individual side, there's three things that you need to do which once again are pretty simple. First one is you need to turn on two-factor authentication. Passwords are so old school. Like passwords are so 1970. I mean, if you're, if you're going to still use passwords and please don't get mad at me, listen to the Bee Gees and wear bell-bottom pants. I mean, it, 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 it's so like 40 years ago. It's not where it is today. Two-factor authentication where you get a new password every time you log in, that would stop a large amount of attacks. Second, is account notification. If you're an individual, banking, credit cards, e-commerce, anything that could financially impact your wallet, every one of these systems have it, but it's turned off by default. And you just turn on account notification, which means anytime somebody's trying to access your account from a new location, or they're trying to do a financial transfer, you get a text message and you have to approve it. Now, the response I get back from people is, oh, Eric, that's annoying. Okay, so let, let me ask you this. Which would you rather? Anytime you're traveling and logging in from a new location, you get a text message that you have to approve. So you, you have to be five seconds inconvenience whenever you travel. That's option one. Or option two, no inconvenience at all, but your entire bank account gets wiped out. Which option would you like? And those are the two options, right? So account notification is another great solution. And then the third one in this, it, it takes a, a couple of days to get used to it, but it's what I do. It's what my staff does. It's what I recommend to all family members. Right now, today, the two most dangerous applications on planet earth are email clients and web browsers. They are the source of most evil. So what I do is I have a Windows computer that I use for doing work. I write documents. I put together PowerPoint. I do all those things. Then I have a separate non-Windows device. I like using an iPad. I have a, I think it's the eight or nine inch iPad that I carry with me. It's great. And I only use that for checking email and surfing the web. Now, two benefits. One, most attacks out there are for Windows, not because it's more vulnerable, but because of the install base. So if I'm using a non-Windows based system, probability of attack is much lower. Second, even if my, iPad got compromised, which is very low, but if it did, all I'm doing is checking email and surfing the web. I don't have any critical information. So if it gets infected, I just re-image it. 
and I'm off to the races. So notice my solution to cybersecurity is don't tell people no. Most cyber professionals will be like, don't click on links, don't click on, and people are going to do that. It's not practical advice. So I'm giving you a way that you can click on links and open attachments, but do it in a more secure, protected, isolated manner. So that's interesting. So for businesses, what you basically advise is um, on the servers, make sure that they're fully patched and there's no critical data. For the individuals, make sure that you have two-factor authentication turned on, account notifications turned on, uh, and make sure that you separate uh, email clients and web browsers. Exactly. You you got it. You passed the test. A plus. Good. Now I hope that the cyber criminals won't come after me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They'll still come after you. They just won't be successful. <laughs> That's good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we talk about those checks. Is there some other routines that you talk your, your clients through that they can go through on a daily, weekly, monthly basis or to assess the risks, to manage uh, the risks? Yeah, to me, it's a real simple formula. I, I call it the, uh, the two-question test. And it goes like this. Most people, when they make decisions, they ask one question. What is the value and benefit? So if you look at a business, let's put up a new server that gives clients access to our data. What is the benefit? I I increase customer satisfaction, increase business, increase revenue. Let's do it. Home example. When uh, the Alexa came out and people, the, the uh, Amazon Echo with Alexa and everyone said, oh, what's the benefit? Oh, now I can go in and say, Alexa, play music or Alexa, what's the weather? Hey, that's a huge benefit. Let's do it. Here's the problem. Any benefit, remember the law of cybersecurity, anytime you add functionality, you decrease security. So what I train all my clients, executives, CEOs, COOs, directors, is always ask a second question. What is the risk and exposure? So now we go in and say, okay, we want to put this server on the internet to allow people to access the information. The benefit is increased customer satisfaction and increased revenue. What is the risk or exposure? We could get compromised. We could be hit with a ransomware attack and it could cost us $10 million. And then you say, is the value and benefit worth the risk or exposure? So increasing sales by 100K to put your data at risk by 80%, is that worth it? Probably not, so you don't do it. So it's really anybody can go in and understand risk just by saying value and benefit, risk and exposure. Another great example was with the home. Everyone puts these Alexas in their house and nobody ever asks the second question. Then it comes out a couple of years later that it's listening in on your conversation, right? And I always love this. When I go to people, I'm like, if you have an Alexa in your home, it's listening to your conversation. And they go, Eric, no, it's not. And I said, if it's not listening, how does it answer you? And they're like, oh, right. I mean, it, it, it's obvious, but not obvious, right? If you say Alexa and it replies, it's listening to everything you say, right? So but when people realize that, they went in and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. The benefit of having a device that tells me the weather is not worth the risk and exposure of somebody spying, listening in, or capturing all my information. And that's when you saw a ton of people rip Alexa out of the house. So, so the advice I give everyone is cybersecurity is not rocket science. You, you don't need to have multiple degrees to do it. You just have to understand its risk 
and you got to focus on value and benefit, what is the risk and exposure? And then just say, is the value and benefit worth the risk and exposure? If the value and benefit is worth it, do it. If it's not worth it, don't do it. Sounds very simple, Eric, to be honest, but I guess a lot of people don't know what they're underestimating, let's say, the risk and exposure, right? Alexa is a great example of that. Um, but um, is it, yeah. You know, or the way that I always like to say it is, things are not hard. It's just common sense is not common practice, right? When I break down security of what it involves and how you do it, everyone's like, that sounds so simple. Yeah, but it, it's not being done and that's the problem. Indeed, that's the problem. And I guess that's uh, the good thing about uh, having guys like you around who are there to uh, educate, uh, which is uh, which is great. Um, cool, Eric. Well, thanks for yeah sharing your views for being on the show. Before we leave it, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with today? I would just reemphasize it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, where you work, or how much money you have in the bank. Cybersecurity is a real threat to everyone. And the more you can recognize that you are a target and cybersecurity is your responsibility, the safer you'll be. And the good news is almost all of the applications that you're using from banking to cloud based to e commerce has security built in. That's the good news. The bad news is it's not turned on by default. So I urge you to take the 120 seconds to go into your account, go under settings, go under security, and turn on those security settings. A little bit of awareness goes a long way in protecting, securing yourself, your family, and your business. Little effort for max protection. Absolutely. Great. If people want to find out more, where should they go? Where can they find you? Uh, so my company website is secure-anchor.com. Uh, I also have a weekly podcast, Life of a CISO, on YouTube. You can look me up there. I'm very active on social media, Dr. Eric Cole, D-R-E-R-I-C-C-O-L-E. And also, I urge you, if you really want a, a two-hour tutorial, pick up my new book, Cyber Crisis. And I, I wrote it over 12 months. It's got a ton of great information in it. Uh, worth every penny, pick up cyber crisis, and it will give you a lot of good inside tips and tricks to being safe in cyberspace. Great. Well, thanks, Eric, for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening and tuning in to another episode of InCheck with FinTech. Um, if you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, Spotify, or any other uh, platform that you're using. And um, we're back again next week. Until then. Thanks for listening, and we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner Free a Girl, who are dedicated to fighting child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Eveline, CEO and founder of Free a Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family, and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom, and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.